By the Christmas of 1914, on the bleak, rain-soaked fields of France, it was evident that a new kind of warfare had been invented. Perhaps the most destructive and pointless kind of warfare ever. Young men waged war on fields outside French towns, whose names would later become part of the vocabulary of destruction. Passchendaele. The Somme. Verdun. Men close enough to hear the snores of their enemies in trenches only 70 metres apart blew each other to pieces over pockets of land the size of a rugby field. History has accorded the Western Front, 1914 to 1917, a savage indictment for the waste of the lives of a million plus in the muddy, bloody trenches. And yet, from the midst of all the horrors came legends, some more truth than fable. On the first Christmas of that great war, spontaneous truces between enemy forces were rumoured to have taken place at various points along the 700-kilometre front that stretched from northern France all the way to the Swiss border. Each army sent investigators to uncover the truth of that Christmas, as the reputed events were akin to treason. But what was the story? At most places along the front, it began on Christmas Eve, simply enough with a few voices singing a few carols. On the German side, a lead tenor of the Berlin Imperial Opera visited two regiments at the front, where his performances, close enough to drift across the frozen distance, were applauded by French soldiers from their parapets. In certain instances, the opposing sides even sang well-known carols together, each in their own language, adding whatever musical accompaniment they could, including harmonicas, and even a few bagpipes from the Scottish trenches. These flickers of humanity in a bleak winter stirred something within the hearts of mud-caked soldiers, and for a moment they glimpsed another way in the midst of their ghastly conflict. The music even gave some the boldness to climb up out of the trenches and join with their enemies in song. Commanding officers soon felt the need to negotiate a truce for Christmas Eve. Not only did the soldiers lay down their rifles in the spirit of Christmas, but many stepped out into the wintry no-man's land, timidly at first, to meet those with whom they were at war. They shared their Christmas treats of champagne and chocolates and showed photos of their wives and girlfriends back home. A Scottish priest even conducted a Catholic mass in Latin with members of the German, French and British troops all following the liturgy together. The following morning, Christmas Day, further truces broke out. The dead who had fallen in no man's land were given proper burial. And for a day, the battleground instead became a football pitch where the Allies engaged their enemies in a completely different kind of contest. For a brief moment, these young men defied the destructive context in which they found themselves. And in a glorious rebellion, brought about an outbreak of peace where there had been only death. Perhaps what had most infuriated the generals far behind the lines was that certain fraternising between opposing forces went even further than a short-lived bit of bonhomie on Christmas Day. As the day ended, the hostilities were supposed to be resumed. Soldiers found themselves faced with the challenge of how to now fight and kill those with whom they had just shared songs, chocolate and communion. It was inevitable that the artillery regiments to the rear would open up on the enemy trenches again and the carnage would continue as before. 
In the place where the most enduring, albeit brief, truce occurred, the Germans received word of an imminent bout of artillery fire from their side, directed at the Allied trenches. Hurriedly, they reached out to the Allied forces and not only warned them, but invited them across no man's land and into the safety of their own trenches. Once the shelling was over, the Allied forces knew their side would be quick to return fire, and the two enemies traipsed together across no man's land to take shelter now in the Allied trenches. But in the wake of this beautiful treason, there were, of course, consequences. Troops involved in the truces were shipped to the bloodiest front lines and entire battalions were disbanded in shame. The high commands of the British, French and German armies were furious at the actions of their frontline soldiers. And it was imperative, the generals decided, that the stories be squashed and an example made of all those involved. There is a footnote to all this. Before the truce, troops on both sides in their trenches had adopted a stray cat who'd mosey on over to whichever army had the best leftovers. The French called the cat Nestor. The Germans christened him Felix. Perhaps the crowning jewel of absurdity is the evidence that suggested that Nestor, otherwise known as Felix, was intercepted by the French Secret Service after the truce, carrying a friendly note between the Allied and German trenches. It was determined by the flint-faced officers at the rear, who had so thoroughly dismissed the Christmas truce as insubordination that Nestor was clearly guilty of high treason. And in baffling devotion to destruction, the cat was convicted and shot by a 12-man firing squad. In one of the letters written home from the front, confiscated as evidence, a soldier wondered if in years to come, people might erect a monument to what took place that Christmas. A monument to a moment at the front, when some young men reached deep inside themselves and decided that on one day, Christmas 1914, it was time to lay aside the machines of death, to cautiously hoist their weary bodies from the trenches and play a game of football with the enemy. It was a time to connect, heart to heart, photograph to photograph, canteen of champagne to canteen of schnapps, and respond to the invitation of Christmas. That invitation to join with the mission of the Christ child in bringing peace on earth and goodwill to all men.